Um, I want to draw your attention as we get going to Ruth. We started with the Ruth chapter 1 last week. We're going to continue on in Ruth chapter 2. Um, and I want to just lay a, a little context, and then I want to pray um, for us specifically. If you have your Bibles, please open to Ruth chapter 2. Um, and I, I'm, I'm kind of taken aback by the reality that sometimes we spend so much time in the New Testament that we fail to really figure out what's going on in the Old Testament. Um, and last week we began this, and I, I want to just hit out with chapter 1. And it, it, it started with bitter providence, that somehow God was in the midst of this woman named Naomi, uh, who has left her land, lost her husband, her sons, and starts out on a journey with her daughter-in-laws. And one of them follows, one of them doesn't. Um, but, but in the midst of this, they're dealing with a famine, and they're, they're, they're dealing with the question mark, how do we get home, when do we go home? And uh, Ruth, we saw in chapter one, committed herself completely to Naomi. She made the choice to go back to the house of bread, to Bethel, or Bethlehem, I'm sorry. And while there, she comes in contact with a man named Boaz in chapter 2. And so we're going to read about that. We're going to see that. Um, but I want to pray for us because I, I know some of you feel very much like Naomi in life, that the Lord, the Almighty, has dealt very bitterly with me. And I want to say this to you today. No, He has not. Because it's in God's nature to be good. Why? Because God is good. God is love. And although there's providential issues in our lives and there's trials and struggles and, and issues that go on with all of us, and look, look at these chairs that are empty. These, this represents sickness. People are sick throughout the city, and we need to be praying for that, the reality that people um, are, are, are hurting. And this is, this is that moment when we could say, well, the Almighty has dealt bitter, bitterly with me, but that's not true. In his divine providence, God always leads, always guides. He's always faithful to himself. And the more we sit there and say, oh, there's bitterness, the less likelihood we are going to have to find hope. How many of you really need hope? How many of us would believe that this world actually needs hope? That's what it needs mostly. And what, what we offer is the, the Prince of Peace, the King of Hope right? The one who can change their lives. And so when we come to the letter written about a thousand years before um, the, the, the birth of Christ, we see, we see this, this time in which there is no hope. There's a famine in the land. There's pestilence. There is pandemic. There is worry. There is pain. And it's into this moment that the story of Ruth highlights how a nation, how a people, how a, a, a community can actually handle those who come into it. And so I want to I bank on that. I want to spend some time with that, but I want to pray first. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, which is a light. It is a lamp unto our feet, God. It illuminates the path. It gives us understanding to who we are. And Father, apart from you, we recognize, apart from your word, we have nothing. And so, Lord, we bring ourselves to you again today out of the volition of our will. We walk through the door and we say, God, will you meet us again through your word? Teach us something new. In Jesus' name, amen. Starting chapter 2, new aspect of providence, new introduction of Boaz. 
You'll notice the, the start of the chapter is a statement. The statement is the beginning of a glimmer of hope in the life of Naomi and her daughter Ruth. Providence comes to us by the grace of God. And I want to say this. If you're, how many of you believe and understand the concept of providence? That God is looking out over you. But not only is he looking out over you, he foresees and he attends and he provides even when it seems like he won't. Look at the first line. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. If you're following along, I want to say something probably that we would already acknowledge. Um, your family matters. I want to say that to you. Uh, I have been married almost 25 years, 25 years, 25 years, yes. And uh, we have, I've realized something over the course of that period of time. Um, my family matters, but that's not exactly what he's talking about here. In this instance, in the Hebrew, it denotes a clan, a larger family. And I want to say this, many of you I would consider my clan, you want to know why? Because I've moved to a place and I've met you and you've become part of my life. You're there for me. And, and if you think about this in the context of what's going on in Ruth and Naomi, the clan descendants were of this larger group of 12 sons of Jacob. And in this instance, the descendant we find out is Elimelech, which literally means God is my king. So now all of a sudden they find themselves in this place. And I, and I want to say something about family. Uh, in this context of clan, it's, it's not the sense that I just like my family. How many of you like your family? Don't raise your hand. Or you completely get along with your family. Don't raise your hand. Or I wear the same tartan on Burns Day. Don't raise your hand. You, see, see, the thing about family in the ancient culture is that your line, your clan, your alliances, it determined where you, who you were going to marry, it established the strength of your army, in most instances, it, ins it ensured your survival, determined your physical boundaries, determined whether you were blessed or whether you were cursed. Did you know that? A name matters. We could ask today, we could ask today, I could go around to all of you, what's in a name? Did you know that? What's in a name? My name is Natan in Hebrew. Do you know what it means? It means, means a gift. Natanael means a gift of God. Shanley, my daughter's name. My middle name means small and wise. You are small and wise. You are very small and wise. You are named appropriately. McConnell, son of the most high king. Yes. Right? I mean, come on. What's in a name? It's important, isn't it? Your line, everything that you derive of yourself comes from that. And now we find these two women who have no real name at this point. They have no name. Their name is Ruth and Naomi. They have moved to a foreign land. They are trying to enter back into the land of Naomi's birth. And I found it fascinating that in this sentence, in, in, in verse 2, it says, Ruth the Moabite, that, that, dis that distinguishes that she's not part of Israel. She is a Moabitess. 
She is a foreigner. She's an outsider. She's somebody who's kind of entered in. And let me tell you something. We have people all over this country who entered into this country, and we feel sometimes like what? Outsiders. Want to know? A Moabite. And it's interesting because all of a sudden there's this interdialogue, and Naomi says to this Moabitess who's followed her, who said, your God will be my God, your people will be my people, and she has followed and followed and followed, and we see, let me go into the fields and pick up some leftovers. Leftovers. I, I find it fascinating. Simon and I were walking down the street the other day, and, and I found an Asda uh, cart in the middle of Kirkton. And how many times have I passed an Asda cart in the middle of Kirkton? I mean, come on, let's be realistic, right? And, and I, this time I felt compelled to pick it up. And so I, I strolled through Kirkton, passed Downfield Primary, the kids waving. And they're probably thinking, why is the minister stealing the cart from Asda? <laughs> and I'm carrying this cart. And you know, in my mind, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, well, there's going to be a lot of people who need food this year. There's going to be a lot of people who need, who need stuff. And, and, and it's funny that I find leftovers. Go find some leftovers. How many of you, when you give to the food bank or you give to people, you go into your cabinet, you open it up, and you find the leftovers? You know, you know those cans of food, those ones that I'm never really going to eat. Right? Somebody brought it over, and they, and they brought it, and I'm never going to really eat that. And so we put those into the leftovers. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. Isn't it interesting? My daughter. So she went, entered the field, began to glean behind the harvesters. And it turns out as she was working in the field belonging to Boaz from the clan of Elimelech, just as Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he greeted the harvesters, Lord be with you and the Lord bless you. And they answered and said, Boaz, ask the overseer of the harvest, who is that young woman belong to? Belong to. How many people are wandering around Dundee right now who have no idea who they belong to? Have you ever asked that question? They have no real understanding of what it means to be part of a community, invest their life into the, uh, in the work of others, and they have no real family. And if they do have family, it really comes down to the fact that, oh, my family lives down the street, but I hate them. You ever notice that one? Ever heard that one? Oh, they're terrible, but just scavers. I mean, I, I learn words in Scotland because I'm a foreigner all the time. And it's like, wow. See, see, it's interesting that in this context, we should not be surprised that Boaz goes, who's that woman? You know why? Because his name literally means quickness. We don't know if Ruth looks good. We can kind of assume she's pretty. Right? She's young. She's lost her husband. Who's that woman? And, and we could take a lot of different pretexts on how we could judge this or interpret it. And I don't want to examine every aspect of interpretation in a chapter of two of Ruth. But let me say this. I want to say this first and foremost. If you look at the story, and I want to say this. Ruth listens to her mother-in-law. Some of you are like, I will say nothing else. Right? No, if anything, let me tell you, during desperate times, we look to people to listen to, do we not? Desperate times, desperate measures, they have no food, no husband, no security. 
She's not Jewish, so she's not really supposed to be gleaning the field. How many of us, how many of us just listen when we need something? How many of you need something and then you just start to listen? How many of you never listen? Don't raise your hand on this one. We never listen until we actually need. We actually do it ourselves. We see this truth in the text, right? First and foremost, she listens to her mother-in-law. Second, she respects Naomi's culture. Verse two, we see that. Culture is driving force in how we interpret all our lives. You don't even realize this, but, but cultural intelligence is the key factor. It's the most important thing you will learn in your society. How do we understand the culture around us and how do we live in it? You and I, to some extent, are swimming in a fishbowl. That means that sometimes we can't tell the water. For, we, we have no idea. We're just sucking in the water. Do you know a fish doesn't understand that it's even in water? It can't even conceptualize that. Sometimes we don't even understand our own culture. Why? Because we're swimming in a fishbowl. And sometimes this is why when outsiders enter the space, they bring something. They bring a different perspective. But they also understand that the culture they enter is not their own. And therefore, they fully don't understand it. And they fully can't fully understand how it governs them. And she is an interloper. Ruth is the prototype story of a foreigner entering a foreign land. And it was important for the people of Israel and the nation of Israel to have the story of Ruth. Why? Because every nation gets better when we invite people to come. Why? Because they bring something to the table that we don't have. Now you may say, well, you're American. You're a nation of immigrants. You're absolutely right we are. We're absolutely right. I, I can't conceptualize not having multiple languages, multiple things. So I, I go into a place in America and it's packed with different people and they look a lot different than me. Actually, being white means I'm sometimes the minority. Isn't that interesting? See, it's interesting how we absorb culture. We, we see in the text that Ruth, Ruth obeys her mother and therefore starts to respect the culture. She starts to engage in the culture. Can you imagine what's going on in the gleaning line? You've got all these Jewish young girls looking at this Moabite woman going, what are you doing here? Why are you doing this? Get out of this field. You have no place here. Sound familiar? It's important to remember that when people enter a culture, it takes them time to assimilate, but guess what? They do become assimilated. I know this to be the case. They did a major study on Pakistani in the, in the United Kingdom. And, and one thing that they found is by generation chapter three, generation through the third generation, they were no longer Pakistani. They were Pakistani, but they weren't Pakistani. They saw themselves as what? British. Why? Because their friends were. Their schoolmates were. They learned English. The culture had what? Absorbed them. If you, if you want to go more into that, I'd be more than happy to. I wrote a whole PhD on it. Um, third, Ruth works in the field. While, while trusting the situation she cannot fully understand, I want to say this to you. We work in a land that sometimes we don't understand as Christians. How many of you work in business? Or you worked in business? That was your history. You had a business or you, or you kind of worked in business. How many of you worked in schools? Just raise your hand. 
You, it doesn't matter what you do in the school, but you work in the schools. Do you understand that sometimes we don't fully understand what's going on, and yet we still continue to work there? How many of you work in the church? <laughs> Have no idea what's going on half the time, and yet I still work here, right? We don't fully understand. You don't need all the details of the situation to work in the midst of the field. No matter who you are, there are things that God calls you into, and you do not have all the answers. This is the prototype definition of what it means to walk by what? Faith. Not by sight. Faith. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if she decided she didn't want to trust Naomi in this one? Can you imagine if she doesn't listen to her mother? Side note on mothers and those who do mothering and mentoring. Um, you need your mother and the mothering mentoring. You have to have it. Uh, we all need the wisdom and the experience that comes from mothers. And guess what? Mothers have more time than we do. Why? Because they've lived longer. How many of you tell your children, I've lived longer than you. I know better. And the truth is, they probably do. Everything that we have tied to wisdom and growth is an aspect of mothering. It's an aspect of listening and obeying those that have gone before us. This is why mentors and mothers come into play. You do realize, and I hope you didn't mind, I grabbed your child and had her come worship next to me. Do you want to know why? Because it's important that children learn to worship. And how do they learn to worship? By standing next to their parents. My children sat next to me and watched me worship. I would dance and I would worship. And do you know what? They don't dance, or, but they do worship. You know that to be the case. They said, some things we'll keep, some things we won't. But the reality is what? You know what? It's time to learn. We have to point them in the right direction. This, is, this has nothing to do, this goes past mothering, it goes to fathering too. Teach your children while you what? Walk on the road, diligently on the path, while you're doing this. What are we doing? What are we learning through Naomi and Ruth? We're learning that it's important to continually pastor and mentor and love what? Your children even when they're not your children. Do you realize she was a daughter-in-law? She was a Moabitess, she was foreign, and yet she still loved that woman. She still led her in the right direction and pointed her to the truth. Parents, I wanna say this, you have no idea how much influence you have in your, in your kids' lives, fully. You know why? Because sometimes they drive you nuts. Can I get an amen? All right? Not my kids, of course. She urges, she urges Naomi, urges, go, get your bottom moving and get into that field and glean it. She, she reaps the harvest, right? She comes into the field and she rests. And the obedience to her mother, Naomi, elicits the positive response. Listen to this. So Boaz says to Ruth, now, now Boaz has said, who's that woman? And now he's sitting next to her going, woo. So he, what does he say to Ruth? My daughter, listen to me. Go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. He recognizes her importance in his life, whether he is attracted to her or whether he recognizes that he, it's Naomi's daughter. We're told in the text, we're not 100% sure, but we do know this. He says, stay here and work for me. Watch in the field. The men are harvesting. Follow along after them and glean what you need. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. That's, do you realize like our job as 
we see people come into the country is to protect them. Don't lay a hand on that person. I, I can remember being at Mount Dragon Academy and a, a kid had been bullying one of the girls in our congregation. And I'm sure, I'm sure, that had I not had been in that school a number of times, they probably wouldn't, I wouldn't have gotten away with it. But you know what I did? I went right up to the kid who was bullying the kid. And I said, if I hear that you bully that child again, I'm coming after you. Oh my God. I know that's not normal in schools these days. But guess what happened? That kid never bullied that girl again. You know why? Because we have to protect. Nobody's going to lay a hand on you. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whatever you, whenever you're thirsty, get a drink from the water jars that I have filled. The provision of God in the providence of God. And she bowed with her face to the ground. Another piece of wisdom. Honor those who honor you. Those that labor in your midst and honor you, honor them. When you go to work, I, I, had, a, I, had, a, I had a woman and a man who were an unethical business proposition for me when I came out of university. And I worked for them faithfully. And even though they were, they were not good and they stole, I worked for them. Why? Because you honor those who you work for. And guess what happened? God kept promoting me. And every sale just got more and more and more. And even it looked like when I wasn't going to do anything, guess what happened? God just elevates. Why? Because God honors those who honor him. Honor me. Notice this. You know, she doesn't show up and say, well, you know what? I deserve this. Give me my hand out. She doesn't do that. We have a society of people who show up and say, give me my stuff. This isn't good enough. And what does she do? She bows to the ground. She doesn't demand. She bows and honors. And she asks them, why have I found such favor in your sight? A foreigner. A foreigner. On the way to school, my daughters and I sometimes sing a song by Sting. You might know it. Englishman in New York. Do you know that one? Um, I changed the words to an American in Dundee. But, uh, you know, I'm an alien. I'm a legal alien, I'm an American in Dundee, whoa, I'm an alien, I'm a legal alien. I, I told you I would sing for you, but this is what I do, I sing, you know, and what, what are we doing? This is more than just somebody passing through. This is somebody who's come to live and to reside. Why? Because there's no choice. There's no choice. They have to get the benevolence of others. Boaz seems to understand the faithfulness and he, he honors her mother. He sees Naomi is something of worth. She's part of our family. She's part of our community. Know what he says. He says, he, he says this, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. And he honors that. And he says, Boaz replied, I told you all about what I was told, I've been told all about what has, your mother-in-law has done since the death of your husband. How you left your father and your mother, your homeland, to come and live amongst the people you didn't understand. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. What did she do? She gave up her old life to follow somebody else. May God richly bless you in the Lord. How many of you want to hear that? I do. The God of Israel under the wings who you have and will take refuge. And, and, and I find it fascinating that he calls her daughter. Daughter. 
In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 9, I want to read this to you. While Jesus was saying these things, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said. Come to the place, place your hands on her, and she will live. So Jesus got up, went with him, along with his disciples. Suddenly, a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years came up behind him, touched the fringe of his cloak, and, said, and she, said, she said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I'll be healed. Jesus turned and saw her, take courage, and what does he call her? Daughter. Your faith has healed you. Notice the interplay between Boaz and Jesus. Boaz is ready to assist. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. You placed yourself under the wings of his refuge. Jesus, although on the way to another situation, is ready to assist. Boaz, attentive to the needs of Ruth. Jesus, ready to assist the woman bleeding, needing care. Boaz provides food for her survival. At mealtime, Boaz said, come over here, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. Jesus provided exactly what the woman bleeding needs through her healing. Boaz recognizes her faithfulness and courage to listen to the woman who, may have been, who, have made, who would have despised her. Jesus rewards the faithfulness of the woman who pushes through the crowd to obtain a touch from the bread of life. Boaz gives orders to his men in the field to let her live and roam freely, even pull out some stalks and bundles, pick them for her and make her have and, and give them to her. Do not rebuke her. Jesus too allows healed women to move freely and live in peace. Luke's gospel account says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. We all need a kinsman redeemer. Amen. Parallels are clear. What's a kinsman redeemer? As mentioned in what we have seen, the kinsman redeemer is a male relative, not a female. That's just a side note. It has nothing to do with feminism. Who helps the weaker relative in need of danger. But this goes beyond the marriage note in the book of Ruth. The person avenges, delivers, rescues, and in, any, in many cases, redeems property. The, the role is far more than nuptial understanding. And I want to I say this to you. Do you realize that Jesus delivers rescues, he helps to redeem those who are lost. Amen, right? He's a male. It's a key aspect of this whole thing. He understands the, the weaker relative, my daughter, my son, you need me. And the, and the world is acknowledging right now, we don't need you. We've got other things we need. And haven't you noticed this last week? And I, and I want to say this with all tact and honor, honor on both sides of the equation. But the reality is, you know, people are putting their faith in other people that have no power to be the kinsman redeemer. Bill Gates will work it out for us. It's not going to happen. Sorry. But there is a redeemer. And there is one that will save your life. And that has all the power that you need. And, and you know what? If you are poor, it says in Leviticus, and you, you have need of redemption, guess what? The kinsman redeemer will come back and they will redeem for you. Did you realize that when Jesus came back from the dead, that's what he's done? He saved you. He redeemed you. He bought you back with a great price. I've got scripture after scripture. For there's one God, one mediator 
also between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. Titus, who gave himself as a redeemer for us, those who were slaves under the law, to purify himself as his own possession, zealous for good deeds, Titus 2, 14. For this reason, he, that's Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant, so that since his death has He has taken place of redemption of the transgressions that we committed under the first covenant. The Old Testament law wiped away. Why? Because we have been redeemed by the kinsman redeemer. To Peter, false prophets among you, they'll come and they'll teach you all kinds of things, destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them. This is our society. And guess what happens? They'll bring swift destruction upon themselves. That's what the Bible teaches. So I want to say this in in key aspect of this. Ruth has gleaned a field. She has been provided for. She has been given such a grace and such an honor. She's been given an opportunity, and Boaz is busy about redeeming her. Jesus is busy about redeeming you. And you may say, well, Nathan, why do you keep every week coming back to this redemption thing? Have you gotten it yet? It's the one thread that goes through the whole Bible from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through that God is the God of the universe who even in the midst of our fall, even in the midst of our destruction, has woven a pattern of life and redemption through the kinsman redeemer. And Jesus is your kinsman redeemer. He redeems you. He bought you back. You are his property. So we don't say to him, he doesn't own me. He doesn't tell me where to go. I'm in charge of my life. No, he is the one in charge of your life. He loves you unconditionally, so much so that he's willing to see you push through the crowd to say, I just need a touch from you. Will you touch me? And you know what he'll do? He'll reach out his hand. And he'll reach out his arm. And the Bible says that his arm is not too short to save you. So no matter how far away you seem like you are right now, he will reach out and he will redeem you. At the end of the chapter, the matchmaker makes the match. You knew I couldn't get away without singing it, right? Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Come on. Find me a find. Catch me a catch. Okay, gosh, you guys, come on. We need to get some, we need to get some old movies going on at the house. Maybe old movie night or something. Your entrance into a community is always through someone. Naomi was the entrance into the community for Ruth. Jesus is the entrance into the community for you. You're saved by his grace, and you enter into a family, we call it the church, um, where those someone love you. They care for you. How many of you agree that Downfield Mains is a loving place, irrespective of our faults and our failures, which we have? It is a loving place. And it is a place in which we continue to point each other to the kinsman redeemer. It's our sole existence to love each other and love God with all our hearts and love each other as we love ourselves. And if we do it well and if we do it right, 
we're going to see lives changed. Many of your lives have been changed because you have witnessed someone else coming into your life to point you on the way. Now, I want to say this. Um, if you need prayer today because you've been far, or maybe, maybe you're feeling a bit stagnant, I want to invite you up after the service ends. We'll do one song, and then I want to invite you up for prayer. And if you feel inclined to come and pray, maybe you're, maybe you're, maybe you're walking through a time in which you feel the grace of God is on you, you're strengthened, and you feel called to pray for someone, I want to invite you to come up. We are a church, and a church, the body functions when we all do stuff together. So some people will be serving the coffees, some people will be playing the music, some people will be praying, some people will be actually speaking life over others, some people will be crying and weeping. Why? Because they're in pain right now. Some people will be remembering that we have others to feed this Christmas and we need to make sure some will actually go out to the store and fill these. Why? Because they know that the Kinsman Redeemer still exists. There is a vibrant church in Downfield that cares. And I want to say this in closing. She's gleaning the field because she doesn't have enough. Well, look, the school called on Friday, or we were together, Alan and I were over there, and they said, we have 19 to 20 families that need Christmas. And with that comes this. We need gift cards for them, 20-pound gift cards for every family at least. Some families are bigger than others. I want to ask you, can you please dig a bit deep? We know it's going to be a difficult year, but can you give so that they can do this? We will combine that with TFM. They're giving the toys. There'll be other things provided, and we will give them Christmas vouchers to ASDA. So our stuff will all be compiled with that. Why? Because it's important to glean the field. And it's important to have the heart of Boaz who says, let them glean, let them have what they need. So that's what we're going to be doing. I want to pray for us. We're going to close. Karen, you can lead us in song. And then after, we, after the benediction, if you need prayer, come forward. Um, if you want to have a coffee, go have a coffee. Um, if you need to make your way out, make your way out. There's, uh, if you want to talk, talk. If you want to have fellowship, have fellowship. Whatever you want to do, you do it. Um, but know this, that we're here to serve. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we, we recognize that we, we need you. You are the king, kinsman, redeemer, God. Jesus, you are the one who paid the ransom for you, for us. For, for your glory, God, not for us, but for your glory, God, and you, you call us. And so, Father, I thank you for those who are here today. But we also recognize that there are those who are not here today who are sick, and we pray for them that they would be healed. Father, we thank you that you're calling more of us into leadership and what that looks like, Lord. We have no idea, but we thank you, God, that we walk by faith and not by sight. And Lord, as we walk with you and as we, we ask your Holy Spirit to be upon us today, Lord, would you do and work in us in a, in a very special way in which we are challenged and changed. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this book. We pray that we would recognize the importance of gleaning a field. We pray for those who will get the cards this, this Christmas season.
We pray for refugees who will, who will need food and Christmas, and we pray that we will be active in, in helping them to, to get those things. Lord, we, we look forward to what you're doing in all of our lives. In Jesus' name.